0: So I'm going to warn you right now that your brand may be irrelevant if, if I do my job because we're trying to move the industry away from being a dealership and being a retailer, right? So Car Retail Guy, you need to register that. Someone probably already bought the domain by the time you said that.
1: Pay 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 up for it. Just, just like they took CarDealershipGuy.com from me. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Alex Vetter is CEO of Cars Inc. and founder of cars.com, one of the original .coms and online automotive marketplaces that has grown to over 28 million monthly visitors. In this conversation, we spoke about how Alex acquired the domain cars.com, how car dealers are evolving in this environment, the unique edge cars has as a business, the things Alex is doing to keep up with a rapid pace of change in tech, electric vehicle interest on cars.com, direct to consumer car sales, and leveraging the power of AI in automotive. This was a very special conversation. I think Alex spoke very candidly about the state of automotive, and I'm excited for you to listen. Oh, and by the way, this was the first live podcast in my home studio. Alex, thanks for making the trip out here. You're a true legend. Here's my conversation with Alex Better. All views of Car Dealership Guy and guests on this podcast are solely their opinions. None of the views expressed should be treated as financial advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Alex Vetter on the pod. Alex, cars.com, probably one of the most epic domains of
0: all time. How did you get that? Look, one of the best moves we've ever made was securing that domain name. I got to tell you, it it was owned by a proud Corvette owner. He had a picture of his orange Corvette in his front yard. I called him and asked him how much he wanted for it. He thought I was talking about the Corvette. I was wanting to buy the domain name he registered on internet for probably 15 bucks uh, we offered him five grand for it initially he accepted the next day his attorney was on the phone which i knew was a bad sign and long story short we settled uh about a month and a half later for seventy thousand dollars and at the time there were so many domain names that were available for 15 bucks people you know so our investors were like what are you doing spending seventy thousand but we felt if we're going to be the authority for the industry, you have to own the domain, and and so in hindsight, it was one of the better investments we, we've made. You got you good at the time, huh? Fifteen bucks to seventy grand. I, I want to if if that, <laughs> if that guy's out there listening, I would love. It's our twenty fifth year coming up this year. I would love to find him and bring him on stage at our company event just to thank him. Um, but I don't know where he is these days. I got to find the files and see if we can track him down. Twenty five years. How many years have you been with the company? Since the inception, 25 years. And how many years have you been CEO? Uh, 2014. So what is that? Uh, coming up on almost 10 years. How do you do it? I mean, that's a hell of a tenure. How, how do you do it? You know, look, I don't view it as work. I mean, I it, at times it can be difficult, but, but uh, we've got a great company culture. The people that work at cars are amazing, both past and present. And I drive a ton of satisfaction seeing other people Grow and advance, and that's been one of the more exciting things. I mean, when I look at our business, not only we've we done well, but I'm really proud that we've got at least 15 leaders in other companies, technology businesses that have grown up at Cars, and they're, they've moved on, but they're now running other tech companies. And I I think that's incredible, and and I love that that we've seen so many people matriculate through our business and go on and and run other businesses. It's it's really rewarding in that sense.
1: I mean, I can't even begin to fathom just growing one company for, for so long. It's, it's really admirable. What have been the oh shit moments for you? You know, you didn't think you'd make it or
0: that, you know, you're really concerned about the future. What were those and like, what was that like? You know, first of all, it's interesting. I don't think it's been one company. I mean, we've had three phases of ownership. Each one has had its pluses and minuses and, and different challenges to navigate. So that has been intellectually Stimulating to figure out, you know, in its latest form being publicly traded, even that's had its its elements. I think the holy shit moments, boy, oh, there were a lot. um You know, when we first started the business, myself and others, we would have to go carry AOL diskettes into dealerships and help them install AOL on a PC if they had a PC in the store over a 144 modem. And I bet many of your listeners don't even know what a 144 <laughs> modem is, but like. We had to create email addresses for dealerships as part of the first generation. And there are many days where I said, "There's no way this thing's going to work." And you were just trying to get internet adoption. We were getting trying to get them internet adoption so that we could, you know, access their inventory files and post them online. And so, you know, having to get up every day and put ten new AOL diskettes in your in your backpack was like a humbling experience. But you learn that, like, you know, you've got to teach the industry new new skills and and. That's always been part of our ethos, I think, is that we're always pushing the industry forward. Give us a sense for the listeners. What is your scale, dealer count, annual revenue, website visitors? Well, look, we have over 20,000 dealers as as clients. Um, Our website, JustCars.com alone, reaches roughly 30 million people every month. Um, If you look at our website business, we've got over 6,000 dealer websites that we're powering about 10,000 dealers that use our various technology solutions and so back to the evolution like it's not the same company it was when we started because today you know we're an enabler of technology solutions across the industry people hear cars.com and they think about the website but if you peel back the onion we've got a lot more layers and depth to the business than than ever before so your first product was a listing site that we all
1: know like super ubiquitous right everyone's heard cars.com And then from there, you now you're saying you've
0: evolved and you're offering other stuff that's complementary to the dealer. Yeah. I mean, if you think about our strategy, like Amazon came first, but AWS is the bigger business at Amazon because they took the infrastructure that Amazon built to run its its marketplace. And then they started enabling other businesses to run on that backbone. That effectively is our strategy. We want to give the infrastructure that was built for cars.com to the local dealership to run their website off our platform, the technology and tools they use to run their business. And by doing it that way, we can enable the dealership to operate digitally at a fraction of the cost if they try to build it in-house. And so we're all about enabling technologies that help the dealership run their business more efficiently and stay relevant for consumers who clearly are yeah. digital first. Yeah, the, um, Shopify has a nice saying that I like to say, like arming the rebels. It's I've used that line at many town halls. The analogy at Shopify, OpenTable is another one, right? OpenTable started as a, a lead gen platform for restaurants, but now the bulk of the revenue comes in through software that runs reservation systems in the actual restaurant. So I think owning both sides of the marketplace is core to our strategy and, and it allows us to bring solutions to market at a at a much better Uh, path because we're not just giving the dealership technology, we're embedding consumer demand into that tech. So, what's your actual website visitors per month? Uh, 28.5 million last month. We've been number one in total users now for I think 16 months, according to Comscore, we've got the highest. Most uh, rated app, most downloaded app in the category as well. So, why is that? Like, why do you have the most downloaded app? Well, what are you look, doing? I'd uh, be remiss if I didn't credit it back to that domain name. I mean, you're only in the most consumers are only in the market once every seven years. And so they're not waking up every day thinking about car sites. So, when they do enter the market, cars.com is a pretty easy domain to, to type in. We get the majority of our traffic directly. Um, and organically, which enables us to to really invest in other things like product innovation as opposed to what a lot of our peers have to do is they just have to keep spending marketing every dollar every day just to stay relevant, um, we also though you know we're one of the few sites that employ a pedigreed team of automotive experts you know we have very, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, we have an editor and she uh, employs a staff of automotive experts that we get the cars directly from the manufacturer before they're put on the retail floor and so we're test driving cars we will critically assess them best bets and and you know what we like what we don't like uh, we're not shy if, if our editors think a car you know cut corners on anything we'll call it out and I think that also leads to why consumers come to us is because we're truly unbiased right we will we see the good and the bad and everything and and we we approach the industry with a curator's mindset is that an important tenant for
1: you to Educate the consumer. I, I can tell you for me personally, like if you look at my Twitter handle, I actually A B tested this. I used, I used to put a ton of different words at the top. I said, well, you know, what means a lot to me? And I put transparent insights into the car business. And then I added unbiased and transparent insights into the car business. And follower growth started rising. And it just showed me that I think it's very, and nowadays with all this like media on the left or right and whatever, all these, you know, politics, like people are craving an unbiased source of truth anywhere. And I, you know, I think we can all agree the car business can be very opaque at times, and so I just think it's very interesting. You, you, you said the word unbiased because that's just something that is, you know, means a lot to me, and I think people
0: really crave it nowadays. The uh, every great business has a secret, and and if you wanted to know mine, it's that, you know, this is the second largest purchase in most people's lifetimes, next to a home. Buying a car is a big deal, and there are so many choices in product. We know that there's tons of choices in terms of the seller. And and so consumers are overwhelmed with with information, and they need a an unbiased, trusted advocate that's going to help them navigate what is truly one of their bigger financial decisions of their lives. Technology is changing so fast. As a dealer, I've just seen what's
1: happened in the last five years and since 2013, which we know online car buying was really around since early 2000s with eBay Motors, but it really became a thing in the early 2010s. So, with all this constant change, you know, you being a tech company, how are you keeping up with this? And how do you protect that lead,
0: especially web traffic? Well, I think you have to constantly invest in, in innovation and, and growth. And, and it always hasn't been that way. I mean, Cars.com' has been around for 25 years, but we've you know, had to climb our way up uh, the food chain in terms of uh, traffic leadership, and I think it's taken deliberate investment in product innovation. You know We were the first to launch uh, on a mobile device. We were the first to launch an app. Um, we were the first to, to you know, do many things in the category that were at the time pretty controversial. We 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 launched invoice pricing when it first, you know, came in and the, and the argument was, wait a minute, you're going to put invoices out there. But, you know, if you know anything about technology, it, it, it will disrupt the market. If So you either have to participate in it or, or it will disrupt you. And so I think we've had a culture and a DNA that's always been willing to push the envelope. I know when we bought dealer Raider, there was controversy there that we were going to rate dealer experience. But let's face it, you're not going to go buy a car from anybody if you can't get insights on the seller. And so, I, and I if think if only there was a Twitter account for that. Right. And, and, uh, well, look, and, and part of the reason I'm here, I, I love what you're doing to push, you know, further ahead. And so, I think we've always had a DNA that says, look, experiment, fail fast, try new things. And if you continue to do that, you're going to hit a lot more hits than, you, than you'll, than you'll whiff. What are some tailwinds for your business? And also, what are some headwinds? Tailwinds uh, that inventory levels are coming back, right? I think that, you know, in this more recent period, inventory levels have been so depressed. In some respects, that's made people flock to my site because they can now search market wide and, and find inventory that's hard to find. But at the same time, you know, dealers and manufacturers have a need to compete as much for vehicle sales. And so, when inventory levels return, I do think you're going to see OEMs have to get back in the game, and that's been a headwind for my business. I mean, we've had very little oEM participation over the last call it two and a half, three years and and they've been you know having fewer cars to promote and and so OEMs are just advertising because yeah. I, I mean that business used to be over a hundred million dollar business with us, and it's a fraction of that today because. OEMs aren't needing to spend more money um, on limited supply. And now that that's coming back, I think dealers and OEMs are starting to step up. I don't think OEMs need to go back to the big incentive pushes uh, that they used to. I think they can start with the marketing lever first and, and help make sure their cars are seen, found, and compared um, before they have to start providing steep discounts. You know, I talk about this a lot right now. Cox just put out, um, they put out a stat that the average
1: new car that was sold in like a month ago or so was actually uh, at MSRP or below, which hasn't happened in two years or so. So we're definitely seeing that. It's very much just like many things nowadays, a K-shaped recovery where you, know, you have like Stellantis and their inventory levels are like shooting through the moon right now. And then you have Toyota, Kia, whoever, where they're still super low supply. Of course, it's a function of you know, demand and supply always, but you still can't get them. You know, Toyota Sienna waiting list, which I just ordered one. Yes, and I'm I'm joining the minivan gang, but there's like a one year wait. You know, I had to use my connections to to get one, but it's crazy. I never thought I would have to use connections to get a Toyota Sienna. I used to use connections to get into clubs, and I'm using that to buy minivans. So life moves fast. doesn't Times it? have changed. <laughs> um, all right, so I want to dig deeper into this point. I was thinking about this conversation. You have like a hell of a pulse on the market. You mentioned 28 million visitors per month, which is crazy uh, to have you know, that kind of access to information. What are you seeing right now? And this is very open. I'm just curious. Supply, demand, pricing, EVs. What are just like some notable things that you're noticing in the market of where we're headed as a, as a car industry?
0: Well, look, the average user comes to Cars.com with about a six-month purchase horizon, um, even more so 90-day window where they're actively shopping, quote, digitally kicking the tires. So we do see ahead of the market. Um, and for your listeners out there, I, I know there's another business model for us to explore where showing search trends by brand, we can predict the market. Because if I look back at actual sales history, our traffic trends correlate to those sales trends. Very, um, they're very much aligned in terms of what we see in the market looking out ahead. What I'll tell you right now in Q2 is that the traffic signals remain very robust and strong. Um, There has been a little pullback in terms of conversion, meaning people contacting dealerships ready to buy, but they're absolutely out there shopping and looking at product. And and, um, that's suggesting to me that Q2 is going to be a very healthy market uh, for those that are continuing to to embrace technology as the primary way that they move move inventory. To that point, we're seeing a similar
1: thing where the customer traffic has been very stable, but conversion is down. Uh, For us it's again, as a, as a used car dealer, where we skew a little bit heavier on the near prime, subprime side, it's very much driven by lending. Lending is just kept right. to tighter and tighter and tighter. And so people are still looking for that car. But at the end of the day, if you're going to have to pay you know, some crazy interest rate and the payment will just be you know, exorbitant, you're just not going to buy that car. So that's at least what we're seeing.
0: Well, that and you know, the new car market and used car market compete. right? So as new car inventory levels come back, you're going to see that pull people from the used car market because if you can get the brand new technology, even if you have to spend a few more dollars, you're getting you know the latest and greatest tech versus tech that could be three, four years old. And what we see in our shopper data is more and more consumers are focused on, is this car equipped with the latest and greatest technology? And so I do think as you see new car markets come back in, into the picture, that's going to put pressure on used car pricing um and and so i do think you're going to see some softening on the used car pricing trends over the course of this next year just because there's going to be more product on the shelf. So you're
1: saying that what you're seeing is that features in cars is what people are looking for like that's one of the top things that when people are searching for a car.
0: Technology relevance is 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 only getting more and more important to to younger generations. They want to make sure that their devices connect dynamically. You've been reading about Apple CarPlay. I'm certain with some of the the main Main brands and consumers are searching on those attributes more now in used cars than they were five years ago. I'm laughing because my wife
1: said she's like, "If the car doesn't have CarPlay, I don't want it." You know, when doesn't matter the four wheels, the
0: engine. I just want my phone to connect and have my navigation show up. You look at the trends of work from home. um, You know what COVID did is like people. the, The car is an extension of your home right? Your, your, your home office goes with you when you go on the road and, and people are, are viewing you know, their accessibility to their, or their continuity yeah. of going from my home office into my car as I run an errand. Yeah, it makes sense. They're, they're still connected. And so they do want technology that's going to enable that. All
1: right. So let's sum that up for a second. In terms of demand, you're saying that six-month time horizon, people are still
0: shopping and it's been pretty stable. What are you comparing that to? just over time i mean you know we we measure this stuff daily we see the same signals that i'm sure you can see on your own dealer website we look at our 6000 dealer websites we see that conversion has softened both on dealer sites and so that gives me comfort to know it's nothing we changed on our marketplace but the traffic levels are persisting people are looking they're configuring loans online they may not convert but they are looking at affordability um and 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 so you know we, we we constantly are measuring these these signals to help us inform what's going on in the market okay and then evs i'm
1: super curious to know what your insight is into that realm the demand that we're going to should expect for used evs new evs what are you seeing you there? know
0: chicken and egg but i will tell you just we don't see the demand curve the way the industry sees it i mean ev search here on cars.com is around 3 4% at its peak it was at 8% but only in california when you had government incentives at seventy five hundred dollars per EV sale, so even with big government stimulus, you know California got to eight percent search share, and so these projections of getting to fifty, I think it's a hard putt. Infrastructure is holding. Well, back. What are you seeing what? in the near term? Like, what's the slope right now? Are we seeing this like rapid growth of searches on your website? Yeah, look, it's rapidly going, but but to get to fifty percent sales volume, I think is a little bit of a uh, a bird song. I don't. I don't see it happening in, in the modern era. I think it's going to take a lot longer time. I think you're going to have a lot more infrastructure being built, a lot more competitive priority. Um, you know, just this week, I know one of your biggest fans, Elon, announced that he's going to be doing shout out to Elon, right? <laughs> but like he's got to market EVs. It used to be, you know, have this you know halo effect, and the good news is that every company's now putting more product in the market, which I think will help the overall category, but. There's got to be more product um, before the search share or the sales share grows to the levels that are being projected. Yeah,
1: look, I think that it, I've been reading. You know, so- several companies that put out stats that EV searches on their website are growing, specifically on the use side. I'm just learning a lot about it, and I'm seeing that, like in the beginning part of the year, EV prices started tanking when Tesla lowered their prices, and since then, you know, dealers were kind of gun shy initially. People held, you know, all these EVs that lost all this value. Then. I've been noticing that now there's some stability, or at least it feels like, and dealers anecdotally have been buying more of them. Um, So you know, I do think that the lower prices now help with a bit more affordability and ultimately sales, but...
0: EV search share is going to correlate mostly to gas prices, right? We saw this as gas prices were running up, getting north of $5, EV search share was doubling. Really? And so... Which, Which by the way, that surprises me because I feel like the average EV customer today is still
1: a luxury shopper. Or maybe maybe not even luxury in the traditional term, but above average. And so, if I were to buy an EV, I don't know if like it would directly correlate
0: to gas share. But
1: I don't know. That's my that's yeah, my take. If, is-
0: if you look at our search trends, correlate more to gas prices and how they ebb and flow. And so, as gas prices have come down in the more recent period, we've seen a cooling off on EV search share. So, look, everybody, whether you're on the wealthiest spectrum or, or you know more focused on you know affordability. Let's face it, you want to take into account, what does it cost for me to, to own this product? And even luxury shoppers are cognizant on, on gas prices being a big driver to, to move to EV. Let's talk about
1: another hot topic that I've been hearing about, d to c direct-to-consumer. What does this
0: look like? What's your overall take on direct consumer right now? Well, look, so, so I'm dating myself here. My, my favorite athlete growing up was Bo Jackson. I don't know if your viewership would know Bo, Bo Jackson. Uh, Google them. Um, but but uh, there aren't many two-sport athletes anymore in the world. I know my teenage kids were sort of conditioned that they had to pick a sport by like fifth grade. The coaches were like, you got to choose your path. And I think this notion that manufacturers are going to build cars and then service customers is a little bit like trying to be a two-sport athlete. It takes a lot to build an automobile. It takes extraordinary focus, precision, and obsession about getting it right. Um, equally, taking care of customers, n- not easy sledding, right? The, they have all kinds of ownership issues. They have you know, service and care needs. And, and I just think the two-tiered system works really well. Dealerships really help curate the market, making sure the customer's satisfied and the manufacturer builds the cars to the best quality. And, and I think the two-tiered system works. So I'm not a big fan of the DTC model because I don't think it's the best consumer model. That I mean, that was what I was going to say. Like from the consumer perspective,
1: if we put everything aside, ultimately, is it a better experience for the industry to
0: adopt this? Will it even get adopted? No, I mean, look, you, you've seen examples of this with with you know Tesla, you know, changing the prices on on cars to people that had reservations. You know, like when you're a one tier system, th- there's too much control at the top. I think when you've got a two tier system. The market naturally drives a much more level playing field, um, both on product and on price and, and on service, which, you know, let's face it, these are machines. They're going to have problems. They're going to have issues. And having somebody local who can help care for your product in an expedient manner is far better than waiting for a monolith in, you know, a distant state to take your, take your ticket. So with that said, how do you think
1: dealers are going to evolve? Because there's going to be an evolution here, no doubt about it. But the dealer in five, 10 years,
0: do you think it's the same type of uh, service and experience as today? Do you think there's some core differences? So I'm going to warn you right now that your brand may be irrelevant if, if I do my job, like, because we're trying to move the industry away from being a dealership and being a retailer, right? So car retail guy, you need to register that. Make sure Someone probably already bought the domain by the time you said that. Pay 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 up for it.
1: Just be, just like they took car dealerships. Well, I, I from think
0: here. dealerships have got to evolve and 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 become much more like other categories in retail and and be much more transparent and forthright, creating a great experience. The internet has gotten us away from worrying about the price of the deal, which is you know where the name came from. But like, it's really more about creating a great retail experience, and I think the industry is adopting technology in a very rapid fashion. And by using technology, dealers are becoming retailers and creating these wonderful experiences that go far beyond the sale, but really get at the heart of ownership. And I think that's the right model. And the manufacturers that wrap their arms around their dealer partners and focus on working together to create that great ownership experience, they're absolutely going to take market share. Um, and, and, and I believe that in my heart. I, you know, dealers today, I think, are done, have done such a great job of evolving their businesses. Um, we always hear about the bad stories, right? They're easy to to post and share. But when you look at what we see every year, 10 million reviews coming from consumers, they're enormously satisfied with the, the retail experience happening all over this country. Um, so I really believe that the local system can win. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think that dealers have long had a
1: stigma. I mean, we all know the stereotypes and just like anything, there's both sides to every story. So I try to show just the reality and not show one side or the other. And anything I tweet, but I, I do agree with you that, you know, there's a lot of really good people in the business and, you know, and just like anything, just some bad actors. And I feel like I'm trying to help get to a point where everyone's the experience is better for the consumer and we bring more transparency as well into the business. What about wholesale and retail, right? So for the audience listening, you know, wholesale traditionally dealers would, you know, there'd be a, a, a pocket of dealers that. Would be just selling cars to other dealers, and you know they would have do that very with various mechanisms. And by the way, that's actually the next episode. We're doing a deep dive into wholesale. It's going to be really, really cool. Uh, and then, of course, retailers is your dealership. You know, I think the lines have really gotten blurred over the last couple of years. You know, as we're seeing like this vertical integration in, in companies and whatnot. What are you seeing on that side, and like what's happening there in the business?
0: Well, look, I think the uh, if you want to get the essence, of what we're trying to enable here, it's that dealerships. You know while they compete fiercely for sales volume and customer um, loyalty, they absolutely are an incredible brotherhood of, of colleagues that really work well together and and we want to use technology to enable that community of operators to work together um, to trade inventory that isn't right for one store but is is best suited at another and technology can be that enabling force to to enable dealer-to-dealer trading. And and today the system is sort of, you know, old school. It's like we all come lick our wounds on cars we can't sell to a big, you know, virtual or physical lot and then trade them like baseball cards to each other and to see if somebody else locally could 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 trade it better. I think technology can absolutely better optimize the fleet using the dealer network as a distributed uh Infrastructure to enable this retail system. I I mean, we're one of the few industries that has four tiers. You got the manufacturer building the car, you got the dealer retailing the car, you've got the technology platform being where people shop, explore, learn, and then you've got the wholesale segment. Um, With our AccuTrade acquisition, we're enabling dealerships to more accurately get to the health of the vehicle, to know exactly what the car is worth, which will make it much more easily tradable to other dealers who also are trusting that that technology. Wait, what, what's AccuTrade? Can you explain that for a second? Sure. So AccuTrade was built by one of the nation's best wholesalers, Robert Holland said, and and uh, he'd been buying cars profitably for years and built basically the best technology to- I, I bought ton, tons of cars from Hansen. Yeah. And, and he absolutely uh, loves his dealer partners as well. And so when Bob and I started talking a few years ago, you know, it was about basically how do we bring your secret, your buying secret, and unlock that power to the dealer community. And he's at a life stage where I think that too would have been part of his legacy was that he was going to give power back to the retail system and enable them to do what he's done profitably for years. So basically for the audience, this guy is considered
1: a legend in the car business, very good at wholesaling cars to, to say the least. And I guess one day he has this idea and he's like, hey, let me, I, I know I have this secret sauce. I've made a shitload of money already. You know, I'm, I'm super successful. Hey, by the way, I can take this, put technology behind it. And like we said before, arm the rebels. That's
0: basically the thesis here. Correct. And, and he, he, you know, we want to turn retailers into professional buyers. Dealers today are going to auction. They're using things like MMR, which is historical, you know, failure rate data, right? I wasn't able to retail this car, so therefore I'm going to wholesale this level. What Bob liked about you know, our platform vision was that we were going to use predictive forward looking data, retail demand data. So not only the cars.com data we see looking out in terms of what a car is going to be worth over the next few months is their persistent demand, but also we can see that across 6,000 dealer websites. So we can predict what a car is going to uh, both sell for and how long it will take to turn in a forward-looking fashion. So we want to move the industry from using historical data to trade towards predictive data. And how are you doing that? Like, What are you specifically? So AccuTrade today, we, we ingest all of cars.com's retail demand, supply and demand data signals. So you can see what the car is fetching at auction. Uh, you can I see it. what it's, it's fetching in the retail marketplace. And therefore, we can guide the buyer of the car on what the car is actually worth. What's important about this is that you know the average consumer, when they go to the dealership, uh, is spending 40 minutes to get their car appraised. That's pretty conservative, too. And Many many surveys are showing consumers spending up to an hour waiting for an appraisal, and then when they get that number, it's a black box. Um, there's no data behind it. It's just you know the the buyer's word versus the customer, and we all know the customer has an inflated sense of self worth for for. Their vehicle. And so data is the the truth broker there. So with AccuTrade, dealers can print a, a condition report that takes the intrinsic signal from the car. You plug in an OBD scanner into the dash of the car, sends the data signal to the cloud. We then feed that data right back to the dealer so we can print out a report that says, here's exactly what work needs to get done on this car, how much those repairs cost. So when you're giving the customer the number, it's broken down into their parts and therefore it eliminates the distrust. It eliminates the, the, the back and forth, you know, over, over value. And, and what do you mean by it's broken into parts? So like, you know, we'll tell you that if you don't have two sets of keys, it, it knocks down the price by $75 and we'll do that by brand. We'll know on a Mercedes it's worth, you know, $90. So the customer will say, oh, wait, I have, a, I have another key. I can bring you the other one. Okay. We'll give you 90 bucks for oh, that. Oh, so you really key. like
1: make it like very like a la carte, like it's, itemizing it's everything.
0: It's very itemized and detailed Got so it. that the, the customer sees the breakdown of the cost of the car. And it's also generated by the cars.com AccuTrade system. So the consumer isn't saying that this person made the number up, it's coming from a trusted, unbiased third party. And, and so dealers that are using the AccuTrade system, it says like, Look, it's eliminated so much back and forth time where people are leaving the dealership frustrated that they're going to get another price from another dealer because we're giving them all the data they need to know on what the car is truly worth. And so they're speeding transactions, they're bypassing auction fees. They're now able to inspect a car in four minutes as opposed to 40 and buy cars off all their service lane customers. and And so dealerships are going to start working more with technology to lower their overall operating costs, but speed the rate of um, transactions running through that platform. And that's the key to profitability in this industry. You've got to be able to move more units, both buying and selling with greater operational ease and at, at tremendous efficiency and velocity if you want to run a very profitable business in the future. Yeah. Look, we <laughs> everyone
1: remembers that you know trades was Used to and 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 I'm sure in some places it still is, but it was a very opaque thing. You know, you'd get a trade, and the the used car manager, whoever, would you know try to you know get a you know steal the trade or get a great deal on trade, and you know a non-educated consumer would obviously lose in that sense, whereas an educated consumer would you know come out pretty well because the dealer would still pay up for it because they don't need to transport it from the auction. You know, they don't need to bid against other dealers, and so it was still worth it, but. I think that's. I think it's fascinating to hear you say like down to like that level of a key. I know, I mean, I know these keys. I know that if you're missing an Audi Q7 key versus a Honda Civic key, it's a very big difference. You know, we made we made a lot of keys, so I, I didn't realize it's at that level. But I think it's pretty it's well. Pretty- the
0: thing about retail experiences, right? You know, many progressive retailers have these you know no hassle return policies and and just wow customers with support and. Dealerships know this that they want if they can take care of a customer getting them out of a car, um, the, the the chances of them buying the next car from them are through the roof, and so they want to keep that customer relationship. Use data, trust, and transparency as as creating their brand identity, and by doing that, they're going to win customer loyalty. Yeah, and I think that's why
1: you know people ask me like, oh, you know, car dealership guy, where should I go buy a car? Well, I say, well, I you know I can't tell you that, but what I should look for is look for you know a brand or someone a dealership that's been around for many many years. And that's just one of the many things. And the reason I say that is because I know how we functioned having been in business for, you know, a very long time. You know, when you play the long-term game, I I have tweeted about this, but I say it's not in our best interest to try to clobber customers because at the end of the day, they're going to come back to me. They're going to buy another car, they're going to bring their family, they're going to buy another car. And it's only if you play the long-term game. If you're just playing a short-term game and, you know, you have bad reviews and all that, of course you're not going to care, but at the end of the day, if you want to build a long-term business,
0: you got to, you know, actually you want to deliver a good customer experience because ultimately those people are going to come back to you. Yeah, reputation matters. So I'll give you a little hint what we're working on right now that we'll be releasing this year. You know, through Dealer, we're now surveying cars.com shopper experiences in real time. And then we're taking that dealer feedback and posting it directly into the algorithm on cars.com. And so Over the course of the next year, we're going to start weighting down the dealerships that are generating a low net positive score for the user. And wait, how are you measuring that? So we'll survey consumers based on you know leads that send into dealerships, phone calls. We're even using geolocation technology so that we can survey people that we know are physically at a store to rate the dealership experience. And over time, we want to reward you know the 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 world class retailers and frankly we 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 don't want to help the bad actors that are creating a bad identity for our industry so we're starting to use reviews more as currency in our search Smart. algorithms which is just going to reward the best players and and continually make yeah. it harder for those that are you know not really helping our industry's reputation on another big note think something that's been going through
1: my head and just try to think about myself in your shoes AI you know, there's a lot of. It seems like, from what I'm reading and on the street and just general within the investor community, it seems like this is something that people are. It's not like Web three or crypto. Like people are really taking it seriously. That this may be like a big inflection point. You were around the dot com era and all of that. Uh, I wasn't, or at least I wasn't in this business at the time. What do you? What's your thoughts about that? Is there, you know are your conversations in the company? Like I'm just curious to. Look what it's like to be in the head of Alex Vedder in the world of emerging AI right now?
0: Well, look, our company DNA is to, to lean into these technologies, right? We want to be first to explore, experiment, and use. And so if you look at our, our website business, you know, we're taking thousands of calls from dealers every day to create content for them for their own website. So now we can use AI, generative AI, to, to build that content in a fraction of the time That we were manually creating it. So so immediately we see a huge savings potential to increase our throughput. We're now launching websites and building websites faster than ever before. I think on the content side, you know, we're harvesting tens of millions of reviews every day or every year on the on the industry, building that into word clouds, sentiment analysis, not only around stores, but brands. Huge opportunity for us to be a first mover there. So, you know, again, we're going to continue to lead by being involved in this tech. And and uh, I don't think it's ever going to replace the need for actual expertise as opposed to computer generated expertise. But give me the badass ideas. Like, I'm I want to know I want to know the
1: juicy stuff. Like, what can you do with this to really wow dealers and consumers with AI?
0: Well, look, I, I definitely think that we can run our reviews database against generative AI to really basically better catalog cars in classes of what, what they're who they cater to and who likes them and who doesn't. So I do think you're going to see personalization take off a lot more. If we know you're a luxury shopper, we're going to be able to gravitate you towards luxury brands that are more aligned with what you're looking for. And, and conversely, down to payments. We're going to take people that are struggling on affordability and guide them in terms of which banks can lend them money, and use generative AI to guide people to the to the destinations that are going to convert them at the highest rate. Is there any innovator's dilemma when you think
1: about AI and just the opportunities there? I mentioned on a, a previous pod that I did about you know a future where I just go to a website and it's like, you know, hey, what what can I help you with? You know, when it, from a car standpoint, I say exactly what I want. It, you know where
0: I live, and it just all happens behind the scenes. Like, is there any of that that you're dealing with? Yeah. Well, you want to index your data so that you, generative AI can actually leverage it and create new experiences. So, again, I w- w- we're all in here, experimenting with it, learning how to use it, uh, empowering our teams to to fail fast with it and try new things. And, and I how do you, how do you do that? Well, you just create a culture that that encourages experimentation, right? We want to we want to be first to market on things. So, if we can, you know, recognize an employee who's who's developed a prototype for something that we can release to either our 30 million users or our 20,000 dealers, like those people are getting promoted. We want to reward those people for 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 experimenting with new technology and helping us run a more efficient business. Yep. Now, I think just to end on
1: a more high-level macro note or big picture cars.com, the car suite of products, you've done a lot. You've really expanded. It's very, very you know, impressive how you've grown. Uh, but I'm really curious, like five to 10 years, how, how does the business evolve? Again, you've been around for a while. You've sort of evolved in multiple phases, uh, which I didn't know the way you described it today. So I definitely learned something new. But how does the business evolve over the next five to 10 years? Well,
0: look, I think our business is-
1: Or are you in Aruba laying on the beach right no, now. No, no, no. Look, it's, <laughs> it, it,
0: it's, a, it's a phenomenal industry that, that's always evolving. You know, I, I will tell you that dealerships hold the keys. They're if they use technology to run their operation, they're going to increase their throughput and they're going to enjoy record profitability. But it, it, we have to build this industry to be technology first. You, know, you ask me the question about headwinds and tailwinds in my business. I'll tell you one of the tailwinds is that generationally. Younger and younger owners are taking over stores being passed on through generations. And what they're doing now is they're not questioning whether or not they should be working with, you know, cars.com or dealer inspire or AccuTrade. Like they are immediately wanting those tools and they're putting them to work. And so as I look at dealerships, you know, trusting the next generation of leaders that are going to be running the industry, I'm really. Pleased to see how much they are leaning into technology first, because they know that every customer coming in their store has been on their device, has been able to. Yeah, you don't need to sell that. Like you don't need to convince that. It's 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 obviously a given. Yeah. So, but but well, you'd be surprised. We only have twenty thousand dealers in a universe of forty thousand today. So I, I sit here and I say, boy, until we get to that hundred percent market share where everybody's using our technology to run their store, we've yeah. got a lot of work to do. But I think the industry's embracing tech now more than ever sure it took a pandemic to kind of push push our industry forward but the number of operators that are now using technology in their day-to-day operation is so exciting to see and and this industry's got a lot of upside still to go and creating a great retail experience yeah and i think
1: and to your point great retail experience i just think that it's really good for the consumer ultimately because all that transparency and it's a hard pill to swallow at the time for many dealers. And, you know, I, again, I speak to a lot of dealers. I, I've experienced it myself in certain cases. I think ultimately, you know, like you said, it's, it is good for the industry, it creates a better reputation,
0: good for consumers. And I think, you know, it elevates everyone together. So I think it makes total sense. Car, car retail guy, I appreciate <laughs> you uh, elevating our industry Incredible. conversation and, and doing what you're doing. It, it, it's great to see. The industry be put in such a positive light and your voice out there matters. So yeah. keep up the great work. And I appreciate you uh, coming out the bumble f- over
1: here in the middle of a forest to record this podcast. This is awesome. Last but not least, where can everyone learn about you? Cars. Um, I I obviously cars.com. I think that's a given. My email else-
0: my email is easy. It's Alex A-L-E-X at Cars.com. You can also follow me on Twitter as well. Good, good. Love it. Alex, dude, thanks so much. All right. Hope you enjoyed that
1: episode please give the podcast a rating, consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to
0: what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.